0: Welcome, and thank you as always for listening and reading along and joining me. We are entering into Book 4 of A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, and I will be reading Chapter 43 today. You got the idea now said the four lady to Francie. You'll make a good stemmer in time. She went away and Francie was on her own, the first hour of the first day of her first job. Following the four lady's instructions, her left hand picked up a foot length of shiny wire. Simultaneously, her right hand picked up a narrow strip of dark green tissue paper. She touched the end of the strip to a damp sponge, then using the thumb and first two fingers of each hand as a rolling machine, she wound the paper on the wire. She placed the covered wire aside. It was now a stem. At intervals, Mark, the pimply-faced utility boy, distributed the stems to the petlers who wrapped paper rose petals to them. Another girl strung a calyx up under the rose and turned it over to the leafer, who pried a unit, three dark glossy leaves on a short stem from a block of wires, wired the unit to the stem, and turned the rose over to the finisher, who wound a strip of heavier textured green paper around the calyx and down the stem. The stem, calyx, rose, and leaves were now one and seemed to have grown so. Francie's back hurt. Any shooting pain ran through her shoulder. She must have covered a thousand stems, she figured. Surely it was time for lunch. She turned around to look at the clock and found that she had been working just one hour clock watcher commented a girl derisively fancy looked up startled but said nothing she got a rhythm to her work and it seemed to come easier one she set aside the covered wire and a half she picked up a new wire and a strip of paper two she moistened the paper three four five six seven eight nine ten the wire was covered. Soon the rhythm became instinctive. She didn't have to count and it wasn't necessary to concentrate. Her back relaxed and her shoulders stopped aching. Her mind was freed and she started to figure things out. This could be a whole life, she thought. You work eight hours a day, covering wires to earn money to buy food. And to pay for a place to sleep so that you can keep living to come back and cover more wires. Some people are born and kept living just like this. Some people are born and kept living just to come to this. Of course, some of these girls will marry. Marry men who have the same kind of life, what will they gain? They'll gain someone to hold conversations within the few hours at night between work and sleep. But she knew the gain wouldn't last. She had seen too many working couples who, after the children came and the bills piled up, rarely communicated with each other, except in bitter snarls. These people are caught, she thought. And why? Because remembering her grandmother's repeated convictions. They haven't got enough education. Fright grew in Francie. Maybe it would be so that she'd never get to high school. Maybe she'd never have more education than she had at that moment. Maybe all her life she'd have to cover wires, cover wires, one and a half, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The same unreasoning terror came on her that had come when, as an eleven-year-old child, she had seen the old man with the obscene feet in Losher's Bakery. In her panic, she speeded up her rhythm so she'd have to concentrate on her work and not have room to think. New broom, observed a finisher cynically. Trying to make a hit with the boss was the opinion of a peddler. Soon, even the speeding up became automatic, and again Francie's mind was free. Covertly, she studied the girls at the long table. There were a dozen of them, Poles and Italians. The youngest looked 16, and the oldest 30, and all were swarthy. For some unaccountable reason all wore black dresses, evidently not realizing how unbecoming black was to dark skins. Francie was the only one wearing a gingham wash dress, and she felt like a silly baby. The sharp-eyed workers noticed her quick stares and retaliated with their own peculiar brand of hazing. The girl at the head of the table started it somebody at this table has got a dirty face she announced not me answered the others one by one when Francie's turn came they stopped work and waited not knowing what to answer Francie remained silent new girl says nothing summarized the ringleader so she's got the dirty face Francie's face got hot but she worked faster, hoping they'd drop the whole thing. Somebody has got a dirty neck. It started all over again. Not me, answered the girls in order. When it came to Francie's turn, she too said, not me, but instead of appeasing them, it gave them more material to work on. New girl says her neck ain't dirty, she says. How does she know? Can she see her own neck? Would she admit it if it was dirty? They want me to do something, puzzled Francie. But what? Do they want me to get mad and curse at them? Do they want me to give up this job? Or do they want to see me cry? The way that little girl did long ago when I watched her clean the blackboard erasers. Whatever they want, I won't do it. She bent her head over the wires and made her fingers fly faster. The tiresome game went on all morning. The only respites were when Mark, the utility boy, came in. Then they let up on Francie a little in order to work on him. New girl, watch out for Mark, they warned her. He was arrested twice for rape and once for white slavery. The accusations were crudely ironic considering the obvious effeminacy of Mark Francie saw how the unfortunate boy flushed a brick red at each taunt and she felt sorry for him the morning wore on when it seemed that it would never end a bell rang announcing lunchtime. the girls dropped their work, hauled out paper bags of lunch, ripped the bags open to form a tablecloth spread out their onion garnished sandwiches and started to eat Francie's hands were hot and sticky. She wanted to wash them before she ate, so she asked her neighbor where the washroom was. No speak English, answered the girl in exaggerated greenhorn dialect. "Nix asked said another who had been taunting her in idiomatic English all morning. What's a washroom, asked a fat girl, where they make washers? replied a wit. Mark was collecting boxes. He stood in the doorway, his arms laid in, made his Adam's apple go up and down twice, and Francie heard him speak for the first time. Jesus Christ died on the cross for people like you, he announced passionately, and now you won't show a new girl where the turlet is. Francie stared at him, astonished. Then she couldn't help it. Yeah, it sounded so funny. She burst out laughing. Mark gulped, turned, and disappeared down the hall. Everything changed then. A murmur ran round the table. She laughed. Hey! The new girl laughed. Laughed! A young Italian girl linked her arm in Francie's and said, Come on, new girl. I'll show you the turlet. In the washroom, she turned on the water for Francie, punched down on the glass bowl of liquid soap, and hovered over Francie solicitously solicitously, while she washed her hands. When Francie would have dried her hands on the snowy, obviously unused roller towel, her guide snatched her away. Don't use that towel, new girl. Why? It looks clean. It's dangerous. Some of the girls working here is clappy, and you'll catch it if you use the towel. What'll I do? Francie waved her wet hands. Use your petticoat like we do. Francie dried her hands on her petticoat, eyeing the deadly towel with horror. Back in the workroom, she found that they had flattened her paper bag and set out the two bologna sandwiches Mama had fixed for her. She saw that someone had placed a nice red tomato on her paper. The girls welcomed her back with smiles. The one who had led the taunts all morning took a long swig out of a whiskey bottle and then passed it to Francie. Take a drink, new girl, she ordered. Them sandwiches is dry going down alone. Francie shrank back and declined hastily. Go ahead, it's only cold tea. Francie thought of the washroom towel and shook her head no emphatically. Ah, exclaimed the girl, I know why you don't drink from my bottle. In the turlet, Anastasia scared you. Don't you believe her, new girl? The boss started that clappy talk himself so's we wouldn't use the towels. That way, he saves a couple dollars each week on laundry. Yeah, said Anastasia. I don't see none of yous using the towel. Hell, we only got half an hour for lunch. Who wants to waste time washing hands? Drink up, new girl. Francie took a long drink from the bottle. The cold tea was strong and refreshing. She thanked the girl and then tried to thank the donor of the tomato. Immediately, each girl, in turn, denied giving it. "'What are you talking about?' "'What, tomato?' "'I don't see no tomato.' "'New girl brings a tomato for lunch and don't even remember.' So they teased her. But now there was something warmly companionable about the teasing. Francie enjoyed the lunch period and was glad she had found out what they wanted from her. They had just wanted her to laugh.' Such a simple thing, and so hard to find out. The rest of the day passed pleasantly. The girls told her not to break her neck, that it was seasonable work, and they'd all be laid off when the fall orders had been made up. The quicker the orders were finished, the sooner they'd be fired. Francie, pleased at being taken into the confidence of these older, more experienced workers, obligingly slowed down. They told jokes all afternoon, and Francie laughed at them all, whether they were funny or just plain dirty. And her conscience bothered her only a little bit when she joined the others in tormenting Mark, the martyr, who didn't know that if he would laugh but once, his troubles in the shop would be over. It was a few minutes past noon on Saturday. Francie stood at the foot of the Flushing Avenue station of the Broadway L waiting for Neely. She held an envelope containing five dollars, her first week's pay. Neely was bringing home five dollars too. They had agreed to arrive home together and make a little ceremony of giving the money to mama. Neely worked as errand boy in a downtown New York brokerage house. Sissy's John had gotten him the job through a friend already working there. Francie envied Neely. Each day he crossed the great Williamsburg Bridge and went into the strange big city while Francie walked to her work on the north side of Brooklyn. And Neely ate in a restaurant. Like Francie, he had brought his lunch the first day, but the boys made fun of him calling him the country boy from Brooklyn. After that, Mama gave him 15 cents a day for lunch. He told Francie how he ate in a place called the Automat, where you put a nickel in a slot and coffee and cream came out together. Not too little, not too much, just a cupful. Francie wished she could ride across the bridge to work and eat in the Automat instead of carrying sandwiches from home. Neely ran down the L steps. He carried a flat package under his arm. Francie noticed how he put his feet down at an angle so that the whole foot was on the step instead of just the heel part. This gave him sure footing. Papa had always come down the stairs that way. Neely wouldn't tell Francie what was in the package, saying that would spoil the surprise. They stopped in a neighborhood bank, which was just about to close for the day, and asked the teller to give them new $1 bills in exchange for their old money. What do you want new bills for? asked the teller. It's our first pay, and we'd like to bring it home in new money, explained Francie. First pay, eh? said the teller. That takes me back. It certainly takes me back. I remember when I took home my first pay. I was a boy at the time, working on a farm in Manhasset, Long Island. Well, sir, he went off into a biographical sketch while people in line shuffled impatiently. He ended, And when I turned my first pay over to my mother, the tears stood in her eyes. Yes, sir, the tears stood in her eyes. He tore the wrapper from a bundle of new bills and exchanged their old money. Then he said, and here's a present for you. He gave each a fresh-minted, gold-looking penny, which he took from the cash drawer. New 1916 pennies, he explained, the first in the neighborhood. Don't spend them now, save them he took two old coppers from his pocket and put them in the drawer to make up for the deficiency. Francie thanked him. As they moved away, she heard the man next in line say as he leaned his elbow on the ledge, I remember when I brought my first pay home to my old lady. As they went out, Francie wondered whether everyone in line would tell about his first pay. Everyone who works, said Francie, has this one thing together. They remember about bringing home their first pay. Yeah, agreed Neely. As they turned a corner, Francie mused, and the tears stood in her eyes. She had never heard that expression before, and it caught her fancy. How could that be, Neely wanted to know. Tears have no legs. They can't stand. He didn't mean that. He meant it like when people say, I stood in bed all day. But stood is no word that way. It is so, countered Francie. Here in Brooklyn, stood is like the past tense of stay. I guess so, agreed Neely. Let's walk down Manhattan Avenue instead of Graham. Neely, I have an idea. Let's make a tin-can bank without telling Mama and nail it in your closet. We'll start it off with these new pennies, and if Mama gives us any spending money, we'll each put ten cents in every week. We'll open at Christmas and buy presents for Mama and Laurie, And for us, too," stipulated Neely. Yeah, I'll buy one for you and you buy one for me. I'll tell you what I want when the time comes. It was agreed. They walked briskly, outdistancing loitering kids homeward bound from the junk shops. They looked towards Carney's and they passed Skull Street and noticed the crowd outside of Cheap Charlie's. Kids, said Neely contemptuously, jingling some coins in his pockets. Remember, Neely, when we used to go out selling junk? That was a long time ago. "Yeah." agreed Francie. It was, in fact, two weeks since they had dragged their last haul to Carney's. Neely presented the flat package to Mama. For you and Francie, he said, Mama unwrapped it. It was a pound box of Loft's peanut brittle, and I didn't buy it out of my salary either, explained Neely mysteriously. They made Mama go into the bedroom for a minute. They arranged the new, ten new bills on the table, then called Mama out. "'For you, Mama,' said Francie, with a grand wave of her hand. "'Oh my,' said Mama. "'I can hardly believe it.' "'And that's not all,' said Neely. He took eighty cents of change from his pocket and placed it on the table tips for running errands fast he explained i saved them all week there was more but i bought the candy mama slid the change across the table to neely all the tips you make you keep for spending money she said just like papa thought francie gee well i'll give francie a quarter out of it no mama got a 50 cent piece from the cracked cup and gave it to Francie that's Francie spending money 50 cents a week Francie was pleased she hadn't expected that much of an allowance the children overwhelmed their mother with thanks Katie looked at the candy at the new bills and then at her children she bit her lip turned suddenly and went into the bedroom closing the door after her "'Is she mad about something?' whispered Neely. "'No,' said Francie. "'She's not mad. "'She just didn't want us to see her start crying.' "'How do you know she's going to cry?' "'Cause when she looked at the money, "'I saw that tears stood in her eyes.'